Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. So I'm here today with Sarah Humphreys. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Jackie. It's great to be here. Sarah, it's always a good way to start, I think, getting people to introduce themselves. So over to you. Thanks, Jackie. Um, yeah, I work as an independent consultant and the main focus of my work is around inclusive practices um, and also in the parent and school engagement space. So I work under two umbrellas. One of them is the Inclusive Schools Australia and the other Authentic Parent Voice. So Sarah, you've done a lot of work in, in the area of collaborative planning and I, I know that this is a particular passion of yours and, and you and I have had lots of discussions on this. So uh, what is collaborative planning and, uh, and how is it really you know, an essential way for, for schools and parents and students to be working together? Yeah, look, collaborative planning really, the emphasis is on the collaborative um, and it's schools and parents um, and, and any other um, external agencies working with students coming together and I like to think of it as brainstorming um, and, the, and the reason why I say that is often meetings at school can be um, can feel quite overwhelming and in, intimidating and the school feels a sense that they need to be in control and direct everybody at the meeting in terms of what's going to happen um, but for some of our students it really is a case of uh, we don't know what the answers are until we put our heads together. And parents really know their children very well. Um, the kids themselves um, can have a very good idea about what they need. And the teachers obviously also have that expertise from the school side of things. So the collaboration really is open conversations between all parties, brainstorming, coming up with a plan, that um, they're prepared to trial over a short period of time, that might be a term or half a term, and then there has to be some sense of coming back together and reviewing and saying, has this made any difference? If it has, great, let's keep going. If it's not making a difference, let's change the plan. I think that's really important. I think what you're, some of the things that we've certainly talked about and you sort of hinted at it then is we don't have to have all of the answers right now and that this is sometimes a bit of a journey uh, yeah. because the, the dynamics of the of the child are going to change the environment is, is dynamic so that review part testing it and trialing it and seeing how it works is really important yeah abs absolutely yeah. yeah and and i think sometimes that can take the pressure off when you know when you have those collaborative planning meetings even setting that up as part of the the start of the conversation is um let's get our heads together and let's come up with um an idea that we want to trial um and talk about how will we know if it's having an impact on your child um so that teachers then can be very mindful of what am i looking for that will show me that this strategy is supporting this child and same for the family what do I need to look out for what will I notice that I can feed back to the school at the next meeting to say yes this is really making a difference and it needs to be something more than yeah a feeling it needs to be something a little bit more tangible than that can you give me an example without without um, you know obviously disclosing any, any names or identities but um, some you know practical example of what that looks like um, 
of, of gathering data? Or? Yeah, the sort of things I'd be looking for to know. So rather than a feeling, because, you know, this is, this is something that we, we've had trouble with, I think, in the challenges with in the past is that, oh, yeah, they're going okay and, yeah, 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 looks all right. But in actual fact, we don't actually have data that tells yeah. us something concrete. It's, it's actually shifting, moving and moving us in the right direction. Yep. I mean, it, it, obviously it varies, um, but it could be along the lines of, um, you know, a student putting their hand up to request support. Um, a stu uh, the length of time a student is able to um, sit and work on a task um, before they ask for support. Um, it might be um, attendance. Um, it might be submission of work. Um, you know, it, it, it could be grades, um, but in, in the classroom, I think it's things for the teacher to, to look out for. Um, and it may be, I mean, an example of a strategy a teacher might be doing is instead of waiting for a child to um, call out for help and it may not be at the right time, the teacher might be um, using strategies where they're more proactive. And so they might be going to the student before they need to ask for help. Um, and then what they might be tracking is, um, does this lead to um, more time on task, fewer interruptions, less walking around the class, you know, any, any, of, any of those things. Yeah, so it's about noticing the differences. So if we set up the goals and we set up the objectives and the evidence, then we're actually going to be noticing what's working yes. rather, rather than, which I think is really critical in this area, rather than a deficit model of what isn't working. Yeah, yeah. and look, I think often what happens, there's so much effort going into creating a plan and this, um, this need to be compliant that we, that takes all of our energy and we actually forget about what do we need to do to implement the plan. And that's why having the conversations about what are we going to notice, what are we hoping is going to change, and then coming back after a period of time and looking at that is really um, essential in terms of putting that plan into, into practice. I really like um, the fact that you're saying, well, what would parents also be noticing at home? So you've got that, you know, that, that, that holistic home and school working together. Yes. Um, so what, um, what advice or what sort of coaching, <laughs> coaching tips could you give to parents who, who would like to, who find this uh, concept appealing and, and maybe they might meet, need to be the ones that are the drivers of, of that conversation in a lot of ways. So what can they bring to the table about the sorts of things that they would like to notice or how do they actually even approach that conversation? Look, I, I think um, if parents have already got a relationship with a member of staff at the school, I think really um, make, the, make the most of that relationship. And maybe before a formal collaborative planning meeting, um, it may be having a chance to sit down with that person that they do have a good rapport with um, and, and maybe talk through some ideas that they would bring to that meeting. Um, certainly it helps... Um, for teachers and parents but you know particularly for parents to have thought through the things that they'd like to share at the meeting and just jot them down and take that into the meeting um, sometimes you know the emotion of it of it all um, you can walk out and, and you've forgotten to say something that was really important so having a few things um, written down in terms of what your goals are for your child and how you would like to see things change for them can be really helpful and simple strategy yep terrific 
Sarah, a lot of the things that you've been mentioning have their have their basis in a number of different, I suppose, methodologies, theories, or approaches. But significantly, a lot of it comes from you know concepts you know, tied to UDL. Um, and I think that this is a. And I, I'm always a bit cautious when we start talking about. Uh, this sort of stuff with parents, but I think there's some really useful material to come out of that. So are you able to just give us a quick, a, a, a quick five on, on what they are? <laughs> yes. Look I, look, I love the fact that you've asked me about um, universal design for learning and it's uh, a real passion of mine at the moment and schools um, are really starting to show um, a, a lot of interest in using this approach to um, Im improve programming, assessment, teaching for all, all students. And, and that's, that's the idea behind it. So with universal design for learning, it's a, it's a framework and it's based on three principles around how the brain works. And the first principle is around engagement. What is it that we can do at in, in our schools that will really switch our learners on? Um, what is it that's going to engage them? So it might be a link to their cultural background. It might be a link to um, special interests around sports. Um, helping students see that what they're learning in class has some real world relevance to them. Um, the second principle, sorry, the second principle is around representation. And it's encouraging teachers to think, when I share information with my students, um, not everybody's going to um, take that information on board in the same way. So some students will really like to sit and listen. Um, others will um, like to listen and look at text at the same time. Um, others may need support with language. So it's encouraging teachers to think about how are my kids actually gonna take this information on board? And then the third principle is around action and expression. And it's recognizing that not all of it, all kids will show, can show what they know and understand in the same way. Uh, a perfect example is at schools when they have to, an assignment is perhaps um, an oral presentation. Some of our kids will excel at that and some will just find the whole experience of standing in front of their classmates excruciating. And so the question is, well, are you assessing their presentation skills or are you just trying to find out what they know, what they've learned from the subject? Um, and if it's about we're trying to find out what they know, then you offer alternatives. So essentially, um, UDL is about providing um, a suite of options for students um, and for them to learn that they can select what's best, what's best for them. Um, and the, I, I think the key difference with UDL over differentiation is that we're asking teachers to consider all students at the very beginning of their planning phase. So it's not planning a lesson for um, the average student and then thinking, okay, how do I need to tweak it and adjust it to meet the needs of a few? It's designing a lesson where you think, okay, how is this gonna meet the needs of all of my students? A little bit like architecture. When you when a new building is created, the architect needs to think about how are people going to access this building. Some will use stairs, some will use a lift, um, some might use a travelator. That you have to put all of those options in um, because if you leave it until the end, it becomes a very costly add-on and it's not as effective. So yeah, UDL is about planning for all from the beginning um, and providing options and really encouraging kids to take control of their learning. 
that's just a, a that's going to be a bit of a head flip for a lot of yeah. <laughs> for a lot of teachers and i have to say too you know, and also for parents too yeah. because you know particularly if parents have been um have had their children at school for a little while and they've been through various models of you know uh, of individual planning um they're probably quite used to having things done to them rather than them yeah. being part of this yeah this um, and they'd be very familiar with the words, you know, differentiation and um, uh, accessibility and, and all that type of thing. And, and that's going to mean something wildly different in interpretation, depending on where you are. So, uh, so this, is, uh, this is really quite powerful. So, how, uh, so very simply, how can parents um, skill themselves up because in this area of you know, some of those principles of, of UDL, because I think that that's a, um, it's a very productive way of going into a conversation, um, you know, and planning uh, for your child. Um, there are, look, I, I think vid videos really is a, is a great way um, for parents and teachers to um, get their head around um, UDL and how it can work in education. There is a fantastic TED talk called The Myth of Average by Todd Rose. Um, it's 18 minutes and it, it's well worth watching just to get that sense of UDL is about recognising there isn't an average student. And if we plan to the edges, the students who are struggling most, the students who really need the greatest stretch, um, we can actually meet the needs of all students. So I thoroughly recommend The Myth of Average by Todd Rose. Um, and there's also a YouTube channel that I'll just, um, I don't know whether the uh, URL will be, oh, the UDL hyphen irn youtube channel and there's lots of mini videos in there short videos in there again that would just explain the framework very simply and i think that's the best way to start don't feel overwhelmed by the whole thing have a look at a few videos um, and that sense of planning for everybody at the beginning um, is key and that's where parents really can be involved having conversation if you're in a primary school having conversation with the teacher what are we learning this term? How can I help? How can I um, have some input that I know will support my child here? So get in early. Sarah, I think there's probably, I think it's probably generally accepted that there's a lot more flexibility in conversation that can be had and, and you know, and adapting and changing and differentiating and, you know, and bringing people together um, in the primary setting where it becomes a lot more challenging um, for a whole variety of reasons is really in the secondary yeah. and particularly around uh, assessment uh, because there's a, you know, we're all very formal about assessment and we have to have it this way. And, and there's, um, I suppose there's questions about um, fairness and equity if we are making adjustments for one student, but not for others. Mm. Um, or there's that, that's the perception. How can we possibly have these um, students on the common scale for assessment? So how do we approach that question when it comes to collaborative planning and, and UDL? Um, yeah, this is a really tricky one. And um, schools themselves, I think, are, are struggling when it comes to assessment in 
providing um, flexibility and options. Um, the way that I support schools to get their head around it and, you know, and for parents as well is, is asking questions. So asking questions about the learning. Um, forget about the actual task and say, okay, what have we been learning? What are the, um, if you're in New South Wales, the outcomes, um, or if you're in other states and territories, the achievement standards, um, what is it that we're actually trying to measure that our students will, will have learnt? And then, okay, what are the different ways that kids could actually show you that? Because sometimes assessment gets so bogged down in the actual end product, the oral presentation um, or the, the brochure or the poster, that we lose sight of the learning because we're focusing on, on the product. So that's a good question to ask. What, what is the actual learning that, that students need to, um, need to have acquired? Um, and I think once you, can, once you can articulate that, it frees up some options to say, well, is there another way that um, we can allow our students to show that they've acquired this knowledge? Um, and then often there will be the fear around, well, then how do you mark it if I've got students presenting things, one as an oral presentation, you know, one as a pamphlet, etc. cetera, um, is having a look at the rubric. Um, and does the rubric or the marking criteria um, actually describe the learning and the quality of the learning that the teacher wants to see? Um, and if that's written really clearly, then it actually shouldn't matter how the student has presented their um, assessment task because the rubric will, um, will actually sit over the top of them. So a bit of a passion for me is about looking at rubrics and using encouraging positive language. If a rubric describes what's missing rather than what should be there, um, that could be something a parent could maybe talk about with the teacher. Um, you know, when I look at the marking criteria here, um, you know, this mark is saying um, that something's missing or well, what actually needs to be there in order to get that mark and then how can I build on it? So having that conversation about what does my child need to show you in order to um, achieve this mark or the, the, next, the next level. So, uh, yeah, asking questions about what is the learning that needs to take place? Is there another way that they can show that learning? Um, and, you know, this, this is the hard thing for students, but it's something that we hear about with John Hattie and visible learning. It's very much a part of UDL as well, is teacher feedback uh, and also student feedback. Can we encourage our students more to approach their teachers for feedback and for teachers to be willing to give feedback on assessment tasks during the um, completion of it. So a student may have a draft. Um, can we equip them with the confidence to approach their teacher to say, can I just get some feedback on, check I'm on the right line here? Uh, it's not cheating, it's about teaching. Um, and I know that that can be that can be difficult for students to feel that it's okay for them to do that. So that could be something to encourage families to talk about with their child. Um, create a draft, go and have a chat or make an appointment with your teacher, see if you can get some feedback um, if you're on the right direction, what you need to work on a bit more, what you could um, maybe change. So with, um, and I, I, again, this is another assessment question, but there's some real um, challenges, I think, and some um, misunderstandings around what is possible within formal assessments and that, and you've and you've spoken to that in terms of can i get feedback and it's not cheating um because that's a yeah, clearly that that whole that whole cheating area is 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 a real area of you know of concern too because there's some 
some unre- uh, some unusual things have been happening and which are not not correct and not fair ethical or morally um, but that process understanding that process that even in formal assessment tasks that there is a role for adjustment for for UDL principles for students who would normally be facing some some bigger challenges um, in, in, the, in learning and at school, to be able to give them the assistance that is due, due to them right, rightly, yeah. but also allowing them to compete, you know, which is in, in a lot of ways it is a bit of a competition because yeah. <laughs> that's the way parents will look at it, to compete fairly, but also too that they are able to demonstrate their learning um, that is consistent with formal assessment. Yeah, I think the the first thing there is to really clarify the purpose of assessment. And the purpose of assessment is to give students the opportunity to show what they know and understand. And I really emphasise the word opportunity because what that means is assessment shouldn't be about trying to catch kids out. It should be about giving them every opportunity to show you what they've learned over the the period of time. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is to think about um, with adjustments and equity and fairness. Um, I like to use a simple analogy of glasses. So if um, some of us wear glasses, some of us don't. Um, If I'm going to um, give everybody in a room a test and I want it to be fair, so everything's the same, if I say to everybody in the room, if you're wearing glasses, please take them off so that this test is fair, so that you're all uh, completing the task in the same way, we all know that that's ridiculous because the glasses is the um, provides the tool to enable you to see the test the same way as everybody else. And that's what an adjustment is. Um, it's a tool, it's a support that allows a child to complete the assessment in the same way as everybody else. So it's not about making it easier, it's about making it accessible. Yeah. And it's not about... Um... I think too that there's some stigma with parents still feel stigma about getting and asking for those adjustments for their for their child um, that they feel that there's some sort of label to be put on them or there's um, they're not seen on the same intellectual at the same intellectual standing as other children in the school other, other students in the class and and that's a that's a real that's a very difficult personal uh, I suppose personal challenge that that parents have to have to overcome um, to get the right outcome for their for their child. So there's some encouraging encouraging thought processes that you can uh, you can offer um, to help parents with that particular challenge. Yeah, look, I, I think one thing that could be helpful is, and if we're thinking about assessment and, and uh, primary or high school, but, but probably more high school at the moment now, um, is I would look at each assessment individually um, and term by term, because the risk is um, a, a school may default to the giving disability provisions, which is the formal term for separate supervision, extra time, a reader or, or a writer. Um, and there's this, I, I think sometimes those formal provisions may not actually be meeting the need of the child at that point in time. So particularly if you're in uh, primary school or year seven or year eight, if an assessment task is coming up 
um, I would be encouraging the family to chat to the teacher or the head of department to uh, about the challenges that your child may have with that particular assessment task and talk about what are the um, options, the adjustments that could be put in place to support your child to complete that assessment task and show the learning that they have acquired over that period of time. Because what they might need in one term may be different from the next term. So if it was science, one term might be quite a lot of reading and writing in the assessment. And the second one may be a very practical task where they don't need any adjustments or vice versa. Um, so I think particularly the younger your kids are, I would very much go case by case basis and have those conversations. What are the about um, what is it about this task that's going to present barriers to my child? So if there's lots of reading, then talking to the teachers about, well, how can we support um, my child to access all of this information, a little bit like the glasses analogy, so they know what's being asked of them, so they can show you their answers. And if you have that one-on-one -on -one conversation, you're more likely to come up with a solution that's going to meet your child's needs at that point in time rather than shifting them off to a, a separate room with a small group where you know are they really getting what they need I don't, I don't know that's really interesting and I think that the um the more those conversations occur um you know the, the easier they are yeah. um but also too I think what's really important is that by going on a case-by-case -case basis you're actually acknowledging the potential for change and growth. Yeah. Whereas, I, I, I'm, look, I've, you know, I've been guilty of this myself, having been on the other side of <laughs> in my non, with my non-parent hat on, but with my teacher hat on, it's just easier to have that as adjustments and everything all planned out from the beginning of the year and everybody knows what's going on and uh, assessments will take place this way, learning will take place this way. Um, but there's no there's no room for that acknowledging um, that the kids actually acquired better skills that they uh, that they're going to um, that their development I suppose is very is going to be very different and they are on their own continuum that we need to continually adjust to. Yeah. Yeah, but UDL talks a lot about learner variability and that means there's difference between students and difference within students. So, you know, even as adults, we know ourselves there are, there are um, things that we find really easy to do and there are other things that we need to put a lot more effort in. And sometimes that can just depend on our mood um, um, or other pressures that are going on around us. And it's exactly the same for kids in schools. And I think what that recognises and what you're saying there is it's really being let let's not label our, our students and then um, just um, group them all together and put that to one side as okay this is the this is the room and these are the supports for disability provisions let's look at every assessment task and say what do our kids this term and um, what's going on for them and what do they need you know if your child's um, broken their arm they're going to need supports for an assessment one term that they're not going to need another term it's the same it's the same thing what do I my kids need now for this assessment task and although initially that can seem like a lot of work it's actually the conversations you're having before the task happens um, and then you're building up a bank of um, expertise and resources and the work that I'm doing in schools at the moment around um, redesigning assessment tasks through a UDL lens they're, crea they're creating options for students that they're able to continue um, into a, a following a following year so it's 
um, a way of constantly building up a bank of resources. Um, but most importantly, um, it's a it's a change in practice and a change in a way of thinking that it's thinking about the students who are in front of me now rather than this is the assessment task that we repeat year after year. You have to keep thinking, how is this going to meet the needs of my kids who are sitting in front of me this term? Which is just good practice, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.